Welcome to the Chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 117 of Chalk Talk, brought to you by Edge of Philly Sports. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter, Threads, and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. I am flying solo today. Mark is unable to join me for this AFC North and South Divisional Preview. Over the next few weeks, Mark and I are going to be previewing each division in the NFL. We'll go over the, how the team performed last year, their biggest losses and additions in the offseason, big questions heading into the regular season, their strength of schedule, and finally, we'll make record predictions, playoff predictions, and over-under predictions. And so we've got four weeks of that, and that'll take us almost right up to the regular season. So today I'm flying solo, and for those of you that are watching this live on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, uh, just a programming note, this is actually pre-recorded, so feel free to drop your comments and interact with each other. I just won't see them live to be able to put them on the screen this time. So normally we do live shows, it just didn't work out this week. So, without any further ado, let's jump into the AFC North. We're going to start off with the North, and we're going to go through these teams in order of their finish a season ago. And so we will start off with the AFC North champions last year, the Cincinnati Bengals. Now last season, the Bengals went 12-4, and and ultimately they won their division, and it culminated in an AFC title game appearance where they lost to the Chiefs who would go on to win the Super Bowl. So over the last two seasons, the Bengals have lost a Super Bowl, and they've lost an AFC title game. And so they're certainly in contention every single year. Now, they do have some big losses this offseason, particularly in their secondary, where they lost veteran safety duo Jesse Bates and Von Bell. They also lost starting cornerback Eli Apple and running back Samaje Pirine. Now, as for their additions, one huge addition they made this offseason was offensive tackle Orlando Brown, signing him away from the Kansas City Chiefs. Offensive tackle has been a consistent issue for the Bengals since drafting Joe Burrow. They made big investments into the offensive line last offseason, and they're doing it again this offseason with the signing of Brown. They also added some guys that I think could be really key for them in the draft. Edge rusher Miles Murphy out of Clemson, defensive back DJ Turner, and running back Chase Brown. So big questions that the Bengals have to answer going into the season. The first one is, what's the plan at running back? Joe Mixon took a pay cut this offseason to stay with the Bengals, but he hasn't been the most consistent player for them. In fact, they leaned on Samaje Pirine at times last year, but Pirine is gone now. And behind Joe Mixon, there's really not much to speak of on their roster. And so the rookie running back from Illinois, Chase Brown, who I was very high on in the draft, he may have a chance to make an immediate impact spelling Joe Mixon. The bigger question, though, because let's be honest, there's not a lot of questions about the offensive side of the ball for the Bengals. As long as you have Joe Burrow and you have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, there's not that much to worry about offensively. Defensively, the question marks are in the secondary. Can defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo, who should have been hired away but he wasn't, can he work his magic with this secondary? I mean, he, Lou Anarumo is very well known for game-specific game plans. It's less that he has a scheme that he runs and more that he identifies what gives opposing offenses trouble and he just smashes that button for the week. 
Now, that was easier to do with Von Bell and with Jesse Bates at the back end of your defense coordinating things for you on the field. And so without those guys, with the losses, can you make these complicated game plans that change week to week still work? If the Bengals can do that, they should be really well poised to make another deep run in the AFC. Now, their division is very, very talented, and we're going to get into that. But how does their strength of schedule match up? Now, when I look at strength of schedule, I use uh, I don't use previous season win totals. I think that's a poor way to analyze the schedule. Uh, teams change during the offseason. That's why Vegas over-unders change. It doesn't just use what a team did the year before. And so I use the Vegas projected win totals for each team to calculate strength of schedule. And so that may there may if this number is different than what you've seen, this is why, but I have them at the 20 easiest. 20th easiest strength of schedule. And so they're slightly above average in terms of difficulty. I ran through and predicted the outcome of every game for the entire season just to get an idea of where I fall on these teams. And for the Cincinnati Bengals, I had them ending up at 14-3, and three, finishing first place in their division. Now, sometimes these skew a little bit towards the side of you know, a really good team, you just pick to win every game and obviously upsets will happen and there's not going to probably be a zero win team. There's probably not going to be a 17 win team and the Bengals may not win 14 games, but I do have them over the Vegas projected win total of 11 and a half wins. Uh, This is the team that I would feel pretty confident betting the over, assuming Joe Burrow's calf injury is good to go and he'll be ready for week one. Moving on here, we're going to take a look at the team that finished second in the division last year, and that is the Baltimore Ravens. Now, the Ravens last season went 10-7 and before ultimately losing to the Bengals in the wild card round in a close game with Tyler Huntley at quarterback. Obviously, Lamar Jackson missed games down the stretch and into the postseason with an injury. This offseason, the Ravens lost uh, cornerback Marcus Peters and edge rusher Justin Houston, probably two of their biggest losses. But they went out and they added guys. They added Odell Beckham Jr., who is coming off of a year out of the league after being injured in the Rams' Super Bowl win two years ago. They added a cornerback duo in Rakia Sin and Trevon Mullen. They also added through the draft wide receiver Zay Flowers and linebacker slash move piece on the defense Trenton Simpson for me the big question for the Ravens is what will the Todd Munkin offense look like Lamar Jackson has never had more weapons at his disposal I mean last year before his injury the offense was third in DVOA and that was with no wide receivers Rashad Bateman was injured he was throwing to Devin Duvernay as one of his top targets This year he gets a new OC and Todd Munkin who likes to push the ball downfield a little more. He's not as run heavy. And he's going to be throwing to Mark Andrews, Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham Jr., and Rashad Bateman. Now, this is far from a slam dunk wide receiver core. Obviously Rashad Bateman has had injury issues his entire NFL career. Odell Beckham Jr. is aging, coming off a year out of the league and off of a major injury. And Zay Flowers is a rookie that some guys were really high on and some people weren't very high on. And so obviously there's still a lot up in the air for the Ravens, but this is by far, no question, the best situation Lamar Jackson has had. I've been a big Lamar Jackson uh, advocate and I stand by my what I've said about Lamar as a passer and the threat that he is downfield. 
But the excuses run out for Lamar this season. Assuming Lamar is healthy and assuming his receivers are healthy, there's no excuse for the Ravens not to be a good passing offense this season. When it comes to strength of schedule, they're they're slightly they're facing a slightly harder schedule than the Bengals, uh, who had the twentieth easiest schedule. The Ravens are at twenty first, so there's really a negligible difference there. And in my projections, I had the Ravens. I picked them going thirteen and four, which puts them second place in the division, slightly behind the Bengals. And so that is an easy over on the ten and a half win total line set by Vegas for me. Let's move on to another team in the division now. It is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Last season, the Steelers went 9-8, and eight, obviously going 7-2 and two after the bye to salvage Mike Tomlin's no-losing record streak. Now, they lost a couple guys in the offseason. They lost Cameron Sutton, and they lost Devin Bush. Really not huge losses. The Cam Sutton loss might hurt, but they did go out and get Patrick Peterson. And so they'll try to plug Patrick Peterson in and see if Patrick Peterson still has something left in the tank. He's coming off of one of his better seasons over the last four or five years. So hopefully he can give a boost to that secondary. They also went out and got offensive guard Isaac Sayamalo from the Eagles. And then in the draft, they had my favorite draft uh, of the entire NFL. They got offensive tackle Broderick Jones, cornerback Joey Porter Jr., Defensive tackle Keanu Benton and tight end Darnell Washington. I think the big question for the Steelers right now is, will this offensive line gel? The Steelers are another team that's been plagued by a not very good offensive line. And they've tried to make investments in it. They have a rookie left tackle in Broderick Jones that they traded up to get. And I think Broderick Jones should be fine as a left tackle, but we've seen guys... Evan Neal last year, who was a top five pick, uh, Andrew Thomas the year before, who was a top 10 pick, both struggle in their rookie seasons. And so Broderick Jones needs to come in and make an instant positive impact for the Steelers. And they also have a new offensive guard in Isaac Sayamalo, who I think is a really good offensive guard, but it's also easy to look good as a guard when you're playing between Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, both of whom are future Hall of Famers. And so I know that Jason Kelsey has talked about how intelligent Isaac Sayamalo is and how many things he's calling out at the line of scrimmage. And the Steelers could use that. Uh, they can use any help on the offensive line that they can get. And so we'll see how the offensive line gels. And then the other question is, what's expected of Kenny Pickett this year? The Steelers retained Matt Canada as their offensive coordinator, a decision that I notably disagreed with. I, I'm not a Matt Canada fan. I think he has held this offense back for years. But there's no getting aside the fact that after the bye last year, Kenny Pickett really hit his stride. He was sixth in EPA per play after their bye. And so maybe that's why they hung on to Matt Canada. Maybe they were starting to figure things out at the end of the year, and they're expecting that to continue this season. After the bye, they went 7-2, and two, like I said, to get to that 9-8 and eight record. Their two losses came to the Bengals and the Ravens, both playoff teams, by a combined nine points. And so they were, were a very tough team to beat down the stretch once Kenny Pickett hit his stride and once T.J. Watt came back from injury. Now, as for their strength of schedule, they have the eighth easiest schedule in the NFL, so they have a decisive advantage there over the Ravens and the Bengals. Uh, unfortunately, the two losses they had post by were to the two teams that are in front of them. And 
I, I have a hard time seeing the Steelers with Matt Canada as their OC, with Kenny Pickett, who even if he takes a leap, he's still clearly behind the two quarterbacks on teams ahead of him, Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow here. And so I have a hard time seeing them getting above third place in this division. I, I have them in my projection going 9-8, and eight, which is the most Mike Tomlin record ever, right? Like just barely avoid the losing season. However, that does put them over 8.5 wins, which is the Vegas win total. So I guess I would be taking the over on that one. Moving on to our next team, our final team in the division. It is the Cleveland Browns, who last season went 7-10. and uh, They got Deshaun Watson back down the stretch, and we'll talk about him more in a moment, but he was not very good last season. So this offseason, they lost Jadavion Clowney. Uh, they lose running back Kareem Hunt. They lose interior defensive lineman Taven Bryan. But they did go out and they made a lot of investments into the defensive front. It started out with acquiring Zadarius Smith from the Vikings. And that's a huge signing for this team because if we're being honest about where they're at, they've had Miles um, Garrett who's one of the best edge rushers in the NFL, and they have not given him much to work with. And you look at Garrett's metrics, like he is a dominant player, but he's not putting up the stats that Micah Parsons and Hassan Reddick and TJ Watt are, simply because there's not another threat on the field. And so they fixed that with Zadarius Smith. They went and they got Dalvin Tomlinson, who's a sizable upgrade on Taven Bryan. He's a better run stopper. He gets better pressure from the interior. They went and got Elijah Moore, the wide receiver from the Jets. And then in the draft, which they didn't draft until the third round because of the Deshaun Watson trade, but they drafted Cedric Tillman, uh, Siaki Ika, another big interior defensive lineman, and Dewan Jones, who many thought would be a first-round pick, and he fell to the fourth round, and there's some off-field concerns there, but the talent is undeniable. And then Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the mobile quarterback out of UCLA. And so I thought they did well with the limited draft capital they had. And the big question for this team is just Deshaun Watson. How is he going to be as a football player in 2023? Because he was awful in 2022. Obviously, he sits out the entirety of the 2021 season. But in 2020, he led the NFL in yards per attempt. And last year, he was ranked 33rd despite having a very high time to throw. He was throwing the ball underneath. In 2020, he was 95th percentile among NFL quarterbacks on early downs, and he was the worst in the NFL as an early down passer last season. He's always been a high sack player, and you see that with guys like Russell Wilson and Justin Fields, who are high sack players, but it also yields big plays the way that they play. And with Deshaun Watson, and we saw it also last year with Russell Wilson, not to make the podcast about him, but the high sacks didn't yield big plays anymore. It wasn't yielding shots downfield or scrambles. And so Deshaun Watson was a net negative for this team last year. And so obviously he's been off of football for a year and a half at that point. He's going to have a full off season. He knows what's expected this year. It's his second year in the system. Can Deshaun Watson take a step forward? The Browns made him the, uh, the biggest guaranteed contract in the NFL. They traded a lot of capital for him. They didn't do it to go 7-10 and 10 and miss the playoffs two years in a row. The other question is about the defense. How's the defense going to look? They brought in longtime NFL defensive coordinator and former head coach Jim Schwartz, 
who has not been a defensive coordinator over the last three years, although he has been an assistant. So how is his defense going to look? Eagles fans will tell you that he is a single high player. He's a single high defensive coordinator. He wants to rush with four, be plus one in the box, shut down the run and make you pass. And he's going to play a lot of off cover one man coverage. And he's going to play a lot of cover three. Is he going to adapt? The league has changed since Jim Schwartz last coordinated a defense with the advent of split field safeties. And so is he going to be more likely to blitz? Is he going to be more likely to play single high? I don't know, but that's going to be an interesting storyline to watch for the Browns heading into the season. They have the 16th easiest strength of schedule, so it's right about league average. And in my projections, I had them finishing 8-9, and nine, going uh, fourth in the division, and that puts them under the 9.5 point Vegas win total. And so that's it for the AFC North. We will have more in-depth previews of some of these other divisions when I have Mark here to bounce things off of. But we're going to transition into the AFC South now, a division that I don't think is quite as uh, interesting as the stacked AFC North. I think there's a clear-cut favorite here. I will note in the AFC North, I am projecting them to finish in the exact same uh, positions that they finished last year. And so... Uh, We'll see if that holds true for the AFC South, but spoiler alert, it's not going to. So we're going to start off with the team that won the division last year, and that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Last year, the Jaguars went 9-8, and and they reached the playoffs after winning five games in a row, including a Week 18 win against Tennessee, which was Tennessee's seventh consecutive loss to get into the playoffs. And then obviously in wild card weekend, they had that wild 27-point comeback over the Los Angeles Chargers to get to the divisional round where they lost by seven to the Chiefs in a game that was a lot closer than a lot of people really uh, remember, I think. Now this season, they lost the right tackle, Jawan Taylor, uh, to Kansas City. And uh, Taylor only allowed one sack over the last nine games last season, but he did struggle as a run blocker, which could have factored into the Jaguars' decision to move on. They also lost Arden Key, uh, which is a big loss because, uh, we'll get to this in a few moments, but Dwayne Smoot tore his Achilles near the end of the year, and so that's two of the three sack leaders from last season are gone for the Jaguars. They're going to have to look to replace that production somewhere. Now, their uh, offseason additions, it's not really an addition, but they re-signed tight end Evan Ingram during free agency. He was their biggest move of the free agency period. And other than that, they weren't really players, so I thought it was worth mentioning here. And also, it's not an addition, but Calvin Ridley, who they traded for over a year ago, will be coming off of his year suspension, and he'll be available to boost the wide receiver course. And now all of a sudden you have Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley and Evan Ingram and Travis Etienne, and you've got some weapons for Trevor Lawrence to work with. Another big move that's going to have a big impact on this season is them drafting offensive tackle Anton Harrison with the 27th pick in the first round of the draft. And so the big question for me, for the Jaguars at the start of this season, is will the offensive tackles hold up? Cam Robinson is out four games uh, uh, serving a suspension for the P- for PED usage. And then Jawan Taylor is gone. And so both of your starting tackles from a year ago are not available in week one. So Walker Little and Anton Harrison are slated to start. 
And so Anton Harrison, just like we talked about with rookie tackles earlier, uh, he was seen as a little more of a developmental piece, a little more of a project, more of a second-round pick, somebody the Jaguars maybe reached for just a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit, but it was the end of the first round because they needed a tackle. And so they really need Harrison to be able to step in and play uh, so they don't have to worry about one of those tackle spots for the season. I already talked about the loss of Arden Key uh, and who is going to step up with sack production. Could you see Trevon Walker take a step forward this year? The number one overall pick from a year ago, he got off to a slow start in his rookie season. And then the other thing is, how is Trevor Lawrence going to do in the second year that he has Doug Peterson? Doug Peterson's worked really well with quarterbacks in the past. Trevor Lawrence had a lot of moments last year where he looked incredible. And when I did my quarterback rankings, I made him a top six quarterback in my quarterback rankings for this year. But Lawrence is still susceptible to dumb mistakes from time to time that really cost his team. You saw it in the playoff game. How did they get into a 27-0 hole? He threw a lot of interceptions in the first quarter and in the first half of that game. And so Trevor Lawrence needs to take another step forward and show that he is ready for stardom. The Jaguars have the 12th easiest strength of schedule this season. And when I ran my predictions, I ended with the Jaguars going 11-6, finishing first in the division and hitting the over on the Vegas win total of nine and a half wins. Up next, we have the Tennessee Titans. Last season, the Titans started the year seven and three, and then they lost seven consecutive games, culminating in that week 18 win and you're in loss against the Jaguars. Now, this offseason, they lost Bud Dupree and Robert Woods. Maybe neither one the biggest losses, but the most notable losses that they have and then they made a they swung for the fences in the offseason they signed Arden Key away from the Jaguars Uh, they acquired DeAndre Hopkins to bolster the receiver core alongside Traylon Burks and they got Andre Dillard the offensive tackle from the Eagles who has not played a lot throughout his rookie contract but was a first round pick the big question for the Titans I think is how will their offensive line be configured Nicholas Petit-Ferriri is suspended for the first six games of the season. And so that opens up a hole at right tackle. How are they going to deal with that hole being there? Are they going to try to slot Peter Skaronsky in at right tackle? Most people viewed him as a guard. Now, I thought he could play tackle in the NFL, and I cited Rashawn Slater, his former teammate at Northwestern, as another guy that had shorter arms, and people questioned his length to play tackle. And he's already already one of the best tackles in the league and so can Peter Skaronsky swing out to right tackle will they try to put Andre Dillard at right tackle he played right tackle for one game for the Eagles and it was a total disaster and he had quotes coming out at, even before the game where you could tell he was psyching himself out about it so I think Dillard has to stay at left tackle the question is what do you do with Skaronsky maybe you kick him out to right tackle during that suspension time and then the other question is How will the Tennessee offense change with a new offensive coordinator? Last year, they were one of the worst offenses in the league. And so the addition of DeAndre Hopkins, it gives the passing game juice if it can stay healthy. If Derrick Henry can stay healthy, it'll give the running game a boost. There's there's a lot of, there's a wide range of outcomes, I feel like, for this Titans team. Now they have the ninth easiest strength of schedule. 
And overall, I'm just not very high on this team, if I'm honest. I, as I ran through my projected or as my win totals, I got them at four and thirteen, at tying for third place in the division. Uh, and so that puts them under seven and a half wins for the Vegas win total. I feel pretty good about betting the under on that. I do think they probably end up winning more than four games throughout the season, but that's where the record projections came out as I went game by game. Okay, that brings us to the team that finished third in the division last year, and that is the Indianapolis Colts. Last season, the Colts went 4-12-1. In the offseason, they lost Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Okereke and Yannick Ngakwe. Some fun names that they lost there. Uh, and then they added, the biggest addition, obviously, is at the quarterback position where they uh, signed Gardner Minshew to a contract, and then they went out and they drafted Anthony Richardson in the draft. Also through the draft, they added cornerback Julius Brents, wide receiver Josh Downs, and edge rusher Adi Tamiwa Adeboare. So they got rid of some fun names, but they got another fun name. I think the biggest question marks are all around this offense. What's going to happen with or with Jonathan Taylor? Two seasons ago, Jonathan Taylor was in legitimate MVP discussions. Now, last year he had a down year as he was banged up, but this year he wants a contract. The Colts basically said no. He had a meeting with Jim Ursay, and then after that meeting, he demanded a trade. And so, I don't know what happens with Taylor here. I don't know who's going to trade for Jonathan Taylor, knowing that he wants paid, because we've seen clearly how the NFL is valuing running backs. And the thing is, the Colts aren't going to just give him away for like a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick. I think they're going to want at least like a second-round pick for Jonathan Taylor, and which is ironic because they value him at that, but they don't value him enough to pay him. And to be honest, I think the Colts are making a mistake by not giving Jonathan Taylor money. You don't have a top 50 wide receiver in the NFL. Your offensive line is, it's not bad, but it's not a top line. It's not great. What are you really giving Anthony Richardson to work with here? Like You have one of the best competitive edges in pro sports, a quarterback on a rookie contract. It's cost controlled. You could sign Jonathan Taylor to a four-year, $50 million deal that makes him the second highest paid running back in the league, which probably makes him pretty happy. And he comes off the books before you have to go extend Anthony Richardson in four years. I, it just makes too much sense to me to do something like that. And you might say, well, the Colts aren't going to compete for a Super Bowl this year. Why should they be paying a running back? But it's not always about that. It's about making it an easier on-ramp for your quarterback, who, again, doesn't have great weapons to work with. And so I don't know what's going to happen with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, if he is not playing for the Colts, I do think that dramatically hurts their chances uh, to really thrive this season. The other question, and I alluded to it, is how ready is Anthony Richardson to step into an NFL offense? Now, he was my number one quarterback in the draft. I love his athletic traits, and I'm willing to bet on those. And I think that his athleticism gives you a certain floor as an offense. Similarly to Justin Fields in Chicago, who had no receivers, you can when it breaks down, you can just run. And Richardson is a dynamic running threat, but he needs to progress as a passer. And that's what Colts fans really want to see this season. Now, Shane Steichen, the new uh, coach, has worked with Jalen Hurts and been a part of his development. And so you should feel good if you're a Colts fan, maybe not about this year, but about the long term. Now, the Colts do have an easy strength of schedule. They ranked third 
in strength of schedule. Uh, so I plugged it all into my simulations and I ended up with the Colts at four and 13 also tied for third in the division, which puts them under six and a half wins for the season. And finally, that brings us to the last place team in the, in the division last year. It is the Houston Texans. Last season, the Texans went 3-13-1. Now, they didn't really have, honestly, any notable offseason losses. Now, they did uh, move on from Brandon Cooks, who, so that is a loss here. But uh, they added Dalton Schultz in free agency, and they added safety Jimmy Ward, which I thought was a great signing. It adds a veteran leadership element beside the young Jalen Petrie in the secondary and Jimmy Ward's really good tackler and run defender where as Jalen Petrie is quite frankly a, a horrible tackler. They also made the huge move in the draft to take CJ Stroud at number two and then trade up from 12 to three and take Will Anderson. So potentially have a franchise piece on each side of the, of the ball. Their big questions the first one is, can Derek Stingley take a step forward in year two? He wasn't very good in year one. Now, he was misused. Lovey Smith used him to play a lot of zone defense, a lot of Tampa 2, and Derek Stingley is more of a man cover corner. And so, D'Amico Ryans, the new offense, or the new defensive coordinator, well, he's the head coach, but he's going to also coordinate the defense. I trust him to use Stingley right and to get the most out of him. The bigger question for me, though, is, Will that draft trade go down as one of the worst of all time? Trading up from 12 to 3, so you could take two top three picks, so you could go get Will Anderson. That's a reckless trade, given what they gave up, especially if their pick ends up being a top one or two or three pick in this upcoming draft with Marvin Harrison and all these quarterbacks. Like They could have potentially traded away a pick they could have gotten a haul for based on what quarterbacks were available. And so the pressure is on the Texans. You do not trade picks like that unless you're expecting to compete now. And I don't think the Texans roster is ready to compete, but they must making those moves. And so that all comes down to D'Amico Ryans. Will he improve the defense in year one? The Texans had one of the worst defenses in the league last year. D'Amico Ryan is obviously known for his defensive prowess, uh, coaching with the 49ers last year over the last couple years. Will he be able to instill a winning culture in Houston? Now, we have seen teams take a leap with a first-year head coach. We saw it last year with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who went worst to first. Now, I don't think the Jaguars were necessarily as bad of a roster as the Texans, they were just coming off a truly horrific coach in Urban Meyer. But D'Amico Ryans has his work cut out for him. Uh, but we'll see what he's able to do with that Texans roster to compete in the AFC South. They have the seventh easiest strength of schedule this season. And in my projections, I had them finishing 6-10. and 10. And so not one of the worst teams in the NFL. Second in the division. Still under the Vegas win total of 6.5 wins. Uh, like I said, I do think they are going to regret trading those draft picks, but we'll root for D'Amico Ryans and we'll root for this Texans organization to become relevant once again. Well, that's going to do it for this episode, previewing the AFC North and South. Uh, like I said, for these future episodes, Mark will be with me and we'll be a little more conversational. 
We'll also be a little more in-depth with somebody to bounce ideas off of. The scheduling just did not work out for us to do it uh, today together or even for it to be live. So, again, this is pre-recorded if you're dropping comments here on the side. But I do enjoy you guys hanging out in this episode. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me for episode number 117 of Chalk Talk. If you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, smash that subscribe button and turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode. We are back on Tuesday nights. We'll be going live around 9.15, 9.30 every Tuesday night throughout the season. So be sure and join us on YouTube, on Twitter, wherever you want to watch live and hop in the comments. Drop us a five-star rating and review wherever you stream your podcasts. You can find me on Twitter, Threads, and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. I will catch you guys next time.